Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Prioso, and welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 193, Correlation Isn't Causation. In the modern era, where access to both birth control and family planning can be easily accessed or scientifically understood, it can be difficult to understand eras when this was either not possible or extremely dangerous. And because of that, it's often forgotten that children born outside of marriage were always in a tough spot compared to their fellow children. Evolving Christian views in the medieval period made this even more difficult, so much so that illegitimate children faced a number of restrictions outside of those few noble ones that we know of who get mentioned, i.e. people like William the conqueror. Let's start by defining what we mean by this term of children born out of wedlock or illegitimate children. They were, by definition, as I said, born outside of the realms of marriage. They could be children of a married man and an unmarried woman, or the other way around, a married woman and an unmarried man, or they could be children of two unmarried individuals, or children of two married people who had an affair outside of their own marriages. During the early Middle Ages, being born out of wedlock was not much of an issue for the elite, and many early medieval kings, Charlemagne included, had concubines who mothered children that were fully part of the king's lineage, though not considered within the bonds of marriage. However, from the 11th and 12th centuries onward, the church implemented and enforced a series of laws aiming at framing and strengthening the understanding of marriage. Marital regulations centered on what it meant for a marriage to be valid. Views on adultery and concubinage became much more negative, and the limits of the rights of illegitimate children became something of an important piece to this puzzle. Male children, for instance, could no longer become members of the clergy, Illegitimate children suffered legal restrictions limiting the scope of their ambitions and career, not to mention that illegitimacy tainted their reputation, at least in the case of non-noble children, the stigma could be harsh. The birth of an illegitimate child was even a significant burden for their mothers, whose reputation was considered in some cases to be ruined, in quotes, some mothers abandoned their children, leaving the baby at the door of a church or a hospital, but others kept their babies and raised them and continued to look after them. Some fathers covered up or disavowed their parentage, thus disowning their child. However, the baby's father could officially recognize the, their parentage, 
but this did not make that child legitimate. Acknowledgement of parentage simply created legal duties and responsibilities between the father and the child, which could mean things such as annual payments or upkeep or simply an acknowledgement without much behind it. However, in medieval Wales prior to the conquest and the Acts of Union, which came later, a bastard, in quotes, was defined solely as a child not acknowledged by their father. All children acknowledged by a father, whether born in or out of the bonds of what was perceived to be marriage, had equal legal right, including the right to share in the father's inheritance. Of course, this complicates a lot of things out and inside the bonds of those who were acknowledged as the children of the father. In Welsh law, all children inherited equally, so that was an important distinction. As time would go on, and Wales was legally incorporated largely into the English legal system, things were different, and the acknowledgement of illegitimate children ended, or at least joined other parts of England in how it was acknowledged. So, why did this change? Why was there a distinction between children of a married couple and two unmarried people? If you know anything about pre-Christian or even early Christian Europe, you would have seen that many children were born to concubines, slaves, and unmarried women, that it was not perceived as a scandalous subject at the time. Some historians have pointed to the way the church looked at celibacy as being the culprit for this change. Before the ninth century, most priests were married. Even some had concubines. This also included, as far as marriage goes, the Pope himself. And, of course, with these marriages and concubines, they had children. This goes back to the biblical practices where early saints and church fathers were married. As of the twelfth century, the church began to demand all of their clerical representatives to be celibate in part to avoid losing church property to children of these priests who would possibly inherit them, or worse yet, to have the government claim church land and goods as taxable due to the various family members. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Gary Willis stated in Under God that the ban on marriage was adopted to lift the status of priests who were facing at the time a great deal of challenges by nobles kings, and others in authority. This would help to set priests on a level where they could not be assailed by their so-called more earthly fellows. Because of this, it is claimed that the church started to talk more about marriage as a place of sanctity and one that is to be treated as part of church worship. It was, of course, a sacrament, but this codified it even more. Suddenly, having children outside the bonds of marriage was a sin worth looking down on. Yet, studies done in early modern and 18th century Britain show that, far from a rare incident, it was common for children to be born outside of marriage. In around 5 to up to a level of 10% of children could feasibly be born illegitimate. The level it happened and how it was accepted, of course, changed depending on location and general tolerance of the population. This could be different from the three different countries of Britain. It could change from county to county, from parish to parish, from hamlet to hamlet. Everybody had their own interpretation of whether that was bad or not. Welsh culture also may have influenced this perspective for 
in these regions, even as English law, language, and economy began to have a greater influence on the country, on the whole, there were stark differences over other concepts. However, this is difficult to prove in full because we don't have enough information to make a broader judgment exactly on how the Welsh interpreted things, and we will go into why this becomes difficult at times later. Before we go much further, I should acknowledge that I am leaning a lot on Dr. Angela Muir's work in the book Deviant Maternity, Illegitimacy in Wales, a book that uh, has become a big point of my research. I've used other sources, but this is definitely my main source for this discussion. And certainly this topic today that we're covering is by no means covering everything she's written in here in any major detail. This is more of a, a, a survey of that book rather than an overwhelming thorough read of it. And I would encourage you, if you have interest in the subject, to have a look at it because there's a lot of detail in here that I don't think gets covered appropriately by many people. So again, I would suggest looking into that. As well, I must acknowledge, as so often happens when trying to fill in the blanks of those fields covering a section of society which is underrepresented by comparison to the William Morgans and the Black Barts of the world, often most of the lives of Welsh populations were lived in historical silence. So with that in context, let's look at what the government's view of Wales at the time and the perception of cultural standards were. And to do that, we're going to look at a report that was dated in 1847. So we're talking about 100 years to about 50 years outside of the category that we're currently covering in the podcast. But I think it is illustrative of some of the viewpoints we will see and hear over the next few years. The report is called A Report of the Commissioning of Inquiry into the State of Education in Wales. In it, there is a quote from Reverend James Morgan, who is the vicar of Talgarth. And he says, The standards of morality is certainly low, referring to Wales. Illegitimate children are by no means rare, and pregnancy before marriage is a common occurrence. It is scarcely seems to be considered a sin, a disgrace for a woman to be in the family way by the man she is engaged to be married. Our poor minister seems to be absolutely disturbed by the idea that people might have sex and that they might be more common than he expects or thinks should be the case. In fact, a lot of the quotes from this report seem to show a very modern society that we would fit well into if we lived in the 50s and 60s, a society in which the authority figures are not living lives of understanding of what was going on on the ground amongst most of the population. And a lot of expectations and comments about the younger population being to blame, which again, I go back to that 50s and 60s comparison. Keep in mind, as we talk about the illegitimate births, they did not make up even a large minority of births in Wales. Typically, they were from 2 to 7% of all births in the country in this particular period of time, which we're talking about the 18th century. This is not to say that they were not significant, but it is a reminder not to look too simply at quotes 
as they can be just snapshots of views at the time rather than actual understanding of what was going on and certainly not looking in depth at data. This idea that illegitimate births, like a lot of the ways Wells is viewed by those writing about them, is likely skewed by an attitude which looks down on the mostly poor and mostly rural country. The danger here is that trusting Victorian sources can be a bit of a mixed bag due to the way they evaluated history and their viewpoint on anyone who wasn't them, which is always a bit of a bad measure, even when the them is their own cultural background and population. So because of that, we'll be trying to avoid broad assumptions based on what was seen as the right thing to do and what English culture says should be the norm. One issue would be that the evaluation of difference from cohabitation and what might be perfectly acceptable under a local idea but doesn't match up with the, in quotes, common sense that you should measure marriage and habitation by. In poorer homes, where costs associated with getting married in the Anglican faith might have been seen as prohibitive, they may, and the key point here is may, have had a simpler method in determining how they were married. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another reality that we get from the data is that illegitimacy was largely single-child illegitimacy. The idea of some people being serial sexual nonconformists or having multiple illegitimate children was both oversimplified and ignorant of the circumstances which often led to children coming about in this manner. It, in other words, it's not that people were just having children willy-nilly, it was that they might have one and then suddenly decide that they were getting married to that person, or maybe they were in a committed relationship and thought the way to continue that relationship was to enter into a sexual one. It's hard to know for sure. It should be pointed out that illegitimacy was assumed to be the consequence of poor, undereducated people, rather than what was more likely the case, that it was across all parts of society, that it was reflected more commonly at lower levels was mostly because there were more of them and there was an increasing comparison of this situation through the government bureaucracy, which was now starting to take over these forms of social welfare and dealing with issues that come from dealing with the poor. Servants, farm laborers and the like were far and away the biggest parts of the population 
So it makes sense, as the saying goes, correlation isn't causation. I would also like to point out that as much as this discussion has and will focus on women, it is obvious that you need both parties in order to have a child. They aren't just magically born. They have to come through both a man and a woman. And because of this commitment between these two people isn't a necessity for a child to be born. And everyone's experience with this is different. Sexual violence, incest, and abuse can also be factors in these cases, as can abandonment. In other words, man has child with woman and then decides to just leave that woman without any recurrence or responsibility being taken on his part. Another side of this is how some mothers dealt with the surprise of a sudden pregnancy. It was not always obviously looked on with joy, and the mortality of children in these circumstances is certainly left in the mother's control when they need to hide their pregnancy from family members who might look down upon them or judge them or an act of violence against them or, you know, a married couple where there were sexual relations outside the bonds of marriage. That also would be a point for very similar reasons why someone would want to hide all these things or just simply from the fact that they didn't want to have a child. And so they would look at measures in order to remove that child. And those methods were considered to be controversial back then as much as they are now and led to debates, arrests, all sorts of things in the how to deal with these kind of circumstances and situations. However, it is interesting to note in the examples that were used by Dr. Muir that the three eastern counties of Wales, in those cases, unmarried fathers are named on the baptism registries at least at the beginning of the 18th century in 80% of the cases of illegitimate children in Wales. This compares to about 50% in the comparison uh, study that she did in the other parts of England. It shows to some degree that there was a different evaluation culturally, though Dr. Moore did point out that over the 100-year period, these numbers fluctuated as the northern two counties maintained similar numbers, only variations within about 5% most of the time. The southern county, in her comparison, Radnishire, saw its numbers drop over time quite considerably. Another issue here is that before the advent of bureaucratic evaluation and slow devolution of sexual laws from the church to the legal framework of the bureaucratic justice departments, there wouldn't have been necessarily a full understanding of what was going on, and thus our records are not as clear and not as good as they were later on, where it makes it difficult to study. Thus, the welfare of the poor, the education of children, all of those kind of things are much less written down or explained. And this makes it difficult for us to identify quite what's going on. However, as the government does take control and 
these government and non-government charities moved in, they viewed poverty in ways that saw poor people as either in two different categories, effectively, in need of help to get out of poverty, or conversely, that their poverty is a consequence of their inability to live proper lives. Their immorality is the reason why they're poor is a large example. The concept that poorer parents that came to rely on the government for help were somehow lesser people would impact the mentality of the work and poor houses, which we will talk about in greater depth at a later date as they grow more and more important in this discussion. Sin and vice were now seen as something the government needed to control and manage, and perceived as something that could be inherited. The sea change brought about by the Industrial Revolution and the French Revolution shook the foundation of the old order in ways similar to how religious reformers had done two centuries earlier. And because of that, we see entire societies start to change their mentality on how things are done. The perception of the rural poor versus the urban poor. There's lots of examples of things starting to change dramatically. However, one particular cultural idea which was mentioned seemingly in need of reform and considered to be a cause of the larger numbers of illegitimate children in Wales, according to the opinions of various people in authority in Wales, was the practice known as bundling. This is a circumstance where a couple spends time in bed together, usually overnight, they're unmarried, and in some cases it was accused that they would then have premarital sex as a show of union, which would then lead to marriage as the expectation. Some English commentators who testified of the practice claimed that it was very innocent, that people would get in bed together, that they would spend the night together, but they would not have sexual relations. There might be other sort of things going on. There could even be friends and neighbors coming over to chat with them while they're in bed. It was a very interesting and different sort of methodology and, and expectation, at least in the interpretation of these people. Something, again, we can't take for granted is accurate, but it's an interesting counterpoint to the argument that it was all about sex. This was, of course, one of the many cultural things that was seen as problematic and needing of reform, according to these officials. Another may have been the practice of irregular marriages where couples live together as a process in their relationship, which saw evidence of some couples then having children who were then considered illegitimate and then marrying afterwards. There are some evidence that this went on at least with some couples it's not by any means a standard that we can point to and say happened all the time but there's enough evidence to show that it did happen and some people definitely did participate in this likely because of costs and expense i mean even today weddings are expensive but it's not as it's it's more about the marriage itself and the reception and all the other wrappings of marriage rather than the actual marriage license and, and the official nature of marriage, which then at that time was one of the higher costs involved. This, of course, led some historians to conclude that Welsh poorer classes, due to costs of getting married, were living common law, to use the modern term, 
until they could afford to pay for marriage from the church. There, as I said, is only scattered evidence of this, but some contended in the past that it was a common practice. We just have no evidence really either way, and when you don't have evidence that you can conclusively point to, rather than say, oh yeah, this definitely happened, you, as a historian, should acknowledge that it might have happened, but it might not have. One of the great reformers at the time was Welsh Chief Justice Lord Lloyd Kenyon, who was appointed to the Northwest Circuit Court of the Great Sessions. He was considered a force in prosecuting sexual cases as his militant views on sexual propriety and impropriety were harsh in the extreme. Of course, no surprise that women were the prominently featured people who were brought up for sexual deviance charges and quite often accused of heinous things which weren't necessarily accurate. These officials, of course, were attempting to force a moral law on the public, which to that point had not been as strict as their accepted thought process went. With all of this kept in mind, it is important to remember that illegitimacy becomes more important the closer we get to the modern era. Up until then, it is important in some instances, but it's certainly not looked at exactly the same way as it's looked at now, and certainly not as it was looked back on, say, 100, 150 years from today, where things were much stricter, perceptions of moral decency were much more in tune with a Victorian era of mentality. And that is something that carries forward even today. In some ways, it, it reminds me a bit of the moral law of Romans and how much those became more about upholding the Roman ideal rather than the actual Roman reality. Well, that's very much the case here, too. These examples are, as I say, I'm just brushing on a very small caseload. There are much more to go into about this. There's way more detail. But I think the thing to remember about all this is, is that just because you have someone that's called illegitimate, it's in the eye of the beholder. And certainly that's something to keep in mind with any of these types of discussions. And with that, I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can always reach me at the Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on Twitter at Welsh History Pod or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. And if you'd like to help out the podcast, you can always do that at patreon.com forward slash Welsh History. I appreciate everyone who contributes. I thank you very much. Your contributions help me to do the research I need in order to make this podcast as good as I can. And with that, thank you all for listening. Take care. Welsh History Podcast is a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. To find more information on them, you can do so at evergreenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to. 
but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.